0: There was a song by an, a, a band in the 80s called Europe. Anybody remember the song? Should I try to sing it? It's really out of my range. Anybody? It's like... ding ding. ding. We are <laughs> I told you it's really out of my range. Three weeks left is my last series here with you all. Three weeks. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being good to me. Thank you for being good to my family. And we love you. We do. This last series is called Miraculous Births. And I know it's the beginning of December, and thus the beginning of the Christmas season for us. And most of us usually only think of one miraculous birth at this time obviously, and that's the birth of Jesus Christ. And to be sure, we definitely will have a look at that miraculous birth on the Sunday before Christmas. But in this series, we will look at the miraculous birth of Samuel, John the Baptist, and then we will wrap it up by looking at the miraculous birth of Jesus on December 19th. What we will learn in this series is that a miraculous birth leads to a miraculous life. A miraculous birth leads to a miraculous life. Miraculous? What are we talking about here? What are we talking about? So what we are saying is that if we have some sort of miraculous birth, that our, our lives are suddenly going to be cured of cancer. Are we going to be able to stop the sun like Joshua did in Joshua chapter 10? If I, if someone falls asleep while I'm preaching, and then they fall out of a second or third story window, and then they die, right? Am I going to be able to bring them back to life, you know, like Paul did? I, is that what's going to happen? Eh, maybe. Those are all miraculous things that I won't count out, but for this series, our definition of a miraculous life is going to be this. A miraculous life is a life living out God's purpose. So what does that look like exactly for you and for me? What is God's purpose for your life? Well, here, let me give it to you. Here's the Cliffs notes, right? Here's the, the answer key. Here is God's purpose for your life. One is commit or grow in your relationship and commitment to Christ. Two, commit or grow in service to the kingdom. Number three, commit or grow in sharing the gospel of Jesus. Number four, commit or grow in commitment to the church. Number five, begin or grow in serving God by serving others. Number six, begin or grow in sharing God with other people. Number seven, begin or continue to carry your cross daily. And number eight, begin or continue to carry the name of Jesus. I think those are the purpose God has given us, the church. You as a Christian, those are your purposes in life. Do you think that is enough to keep you busy for the rest of your life? Absolutely. If you can just work on this list, you can stay busy for the rest of your life. So, do it. (laughs) Go get them, tiger. But Sobek, I haven't had a miraculous birth. I haven't had a birth like Samuel or like John the Baptist or like Jesus. I haven't even had a crazy NICU stay like Elijah, which you talk about over and over and over again. And over and over and over again. So how can I get what you were saying? How does this apply to me? Well, I want all of us to understand that we have all had, or we can all have, a miraculous birth. Just earlier this year, I was part of one such birth. Not to single anybody out, but there was somebody in this congregation named (coughs) Jared, that had one such miraculous birth. I'm not going to point them out. I was able to dunk him under the water, and he was born again. He was reborn. And knowing where Jared has come from, that was a miracle. Me, 31 years ago, I had a miraculous birth. Right? Right? I had a miraculous birth 31 years ago at Little Galilee Christian Assembly. I was dunked in a swimming pool, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I bet all of you or most of you in this room have had a similar experience as well. You have had a miraculous birth where you gave your life to the Lord, and you were baptized in him, and you were born again, right? I know this because I have done that for some of you. So, I was a little punk, always scheming how to get a girl to notice me. And then I was baptized, and it was a miraculous birth. And if you haven't yet been baptized this morning, you too can have a miraculous birth. The water is warm. I filled it at like 8 a.m., and the heater's on. You're good. Get dunked. Jesus called it being born again, and you too can have that miraculous life because a miraculous birth leads to a miraculous life. You get what I'm saying? We are all responsible for answering the call of Jesus to get in the water and to being born again. There are some of you out there this morning that I have been waiting on for five years now to jump in. I only got a couple weeks left. You don't have to wait till December 19th. You can do it right now. This series, we are going to look at three miraculous birth stories. And perhaps by looking at the lives of these three people, we can begin to see our own purpose in life. Maybe we can begin to shape the answers to the questions that so many of us have in why am I here? And do I have a purpose? As we look at the lives of Samuel and John the Baptist and even Jesus, we can see that so many times the roles that God has for us and that he wants for us are not lead roles. They're not. Wait, wait, well, Jesus was a lead role, well, kind of, except for what was Jesus all about? Well, he was all about service, he had no home, he was homeless, he had no earthly power, and then they killed him. So, I don't know, not really a starring role, right, that we think of. Yeah, it's nothing new, but especially today, especially in this culture, everyone wants to be the lead, and never and no one ever wants to be a stagehand, and perhaps, perhaps the very role, the very job, the very thing that God has called you to, the very thing that God has for you is to be a deckhand, a stagehand, is to be a janitor, is to not be the lead, but instead to be the part of man number three, or woman number two, or a sheep. Perhaps your miraculous birth in Christ is calling you to a miraculous life of faithfulness right where you are. And maybe what that looks like is a rock-solid faith bringing up generations of faithful followers of Jesus that bring up faithful Followers of Jesus. That bring up faithful followers of Jesus. Can I tell you if that is all you do in this life? When life is over for you, all of heaven will stop and they will celebrate you. They will stop and they will celebrate you. All of this heaven will stop and they will cheer for you. This morning, let's look at the story of Hannah and Samuel. It's a long chapter. I'm just going to tell it to you. You can fact check me later. Okay? 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let's, let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, There was a man, I'm going to tell it to you, named Elkanah. Elkanah means God has taken possession. Elkanah was a direct descendant of Levi, meaning that Elkanah was a Levite at birth. He lived in Ramah in the hill country of Ephraim with his two wives, Hannah and Pinna. Pinna. Pinna, yeah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah, she did not Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 4 makes us aware of a problem between the two. Elkanah presented his sacrifice, and then he would give portions of meat to Peninnah, who was his second wife, and each of her children. And it says, and though he loved Hannah, he would only give her one portion because... Why would you only give her one portion? Because she was barren and had no kids. Which is a problem. Verse 6, so Peninnah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her, because the Lord kept her from having children. Anyone want to guess what the name, the Hebrew name Penanah means? Anybody? It means jewel. Nice, right? Jewel. What a jewel of a person that lady is, right? I don't know what that was, but anyway... Verse seven tells us that year after year, year after year, this happened. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle, and each time Hanana, or Hannah would be reduced to tears, and she would not even eat. Side note: the Hebrew name Hannah means anybody any Hannahs it means grace which is fitting, because it's grace that would keep me from punching Penna in the face, right? I mean, that's, anyway. Elkanah, being a typical husband, which would kind of be what I would do, would try to make things better, which here's how he would try to make things better. Typical, right? Why are you crying, Hannah? You got me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? Okay, I know I've not been a husband for that long, but even me knows that's dumb. That's a dumb, dumb, dumb idea. Anyway, one year after another such encounter, the story says that Eli, the priest, was watching this whole exchange unfold. It says that Hannah was deep in anguish, crying bitterly, Praying silently to the Lord, she made a vow that if the Lord gave her a son, she would give him to the service of the temple. She sat there begging God, vowing to God in the silence. Her lips were moving. She was in deep anguish. Her, she was just, you know, like doing this and, and basically crying. No sound is coming out. Eli, seeing this, assumed that she was drunk on wine. And she goes over. He goes over to her and scolds her. I'll read verses 15 to 17 through you, to you verbatim. Oh, no, sir, she said, replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. I don't think I am a, I don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. And then the rest of the chapter lets us know that indeed Hannah had a son, that God remembered what Eli had said, remembered her plea, and Hannah named him Samuel, which which means name of God or God has heard. In what was, I'm sure, the hardest decision that Hannah ever had to make. Now remember the, the promise, right? When Samuel was a boy, Hannah and Elkanah took Samuel to Eli and allowed Eli to raise him in the service of the Lord. They gave him to the temple. Whew. It's tough. A miraculous birth leads to a miraculous life. How awful would a miraculous birth story be if the rest of the story was boring? (laughs) Like if Elijah's story was, yeah, so Elijah was born, he was one pound, pound six ounces, he almost died a million times, he had surgery, was an oxygen for a year when he got home, and then he grew up, was single, lived in one town his whole life, And he did people's taxes for the rest of his life before dying peacefully in his bed at 86 years old in his sleep. Right? I mean, like, like, what? He better have an awesome story, right? Currently, here's what Elijah wants to be when he grows up. You guys ready for this? He wants to be an astronaut firefighter. I don't have the heart to tell him that there is no oxygen in space, which therefore means that there's no fire, which therefore means that he can't fight fires in space, but I don't want to break his heart yet, right? Samuel was a servant. Samuel has one of the most famous Sunday school lessons ever, right? Carol, Donna, you guys know his story, right? I think every time my wife teaches a Sunday school story, it's her go-to story, right? Chapter 3, Samuel. Samuel's a boy. God wakes Samuel up, and he thinks, who is calling? Eli. So he goes and wakes up Eli and says, yes, Eli, you called me. And, And Eli goes, I didn't call you. He's like, oh, okay. So he goes back. And then again... God calls Samuel, and he's like, oh, Eli, hey, what's up? And God's like, and he's like, I didn't call you again. Go back to bed. And so finally, get Samuel, Eli's like, I should probably tell Samuel to say, yeah, God. So the last time, Eli says, next time you hear the voice, say, here I am, Lord, speak. Have you guys heard this story before? And so Samuel, God again says, Samuel, and he says, here I am, Lord, speak, and God speaks. And we always stop the story right there, which is really funny, because God has some stuff to tell him, and it's not fun, right? And we don't talk about that part. But this goes on for Samuel to being God's man. And God and Samuel go on for a lifetime of service. Verse 9, chapter 3. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Samuel's life didn't end there either. He went on to be a mighty instrument of God, and he went on to be used by God over and over, all because he and his mother and a father that were faithful, that saw this miracle, miraculous birth as something that was not to be wasted We will see this morning that Samuel was given three titles, three positions by God, that Samuel's miraculous birth did indeed lead to miraculous life. So quickly, Samuel's miraculous life, one, Samuel's miraculous, Samuel was a prophet, sorry. Get that out there. So right after Samuel says, speak for your servant is listening, does anyone remember the message? Now listen, Samuel's a little boy. Here's what he says. God says, I have a message for you to give to Eli and to Israel. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who is listening tingle. That's not good. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him, that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. First Samuel four sixteen through 18 Eli asked, what has happened? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines, and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken, and he died. For he was an old man, and he was heavy he led israel for 40 years that's a tough thing for a little boy to tell a man they don't tell you that part in sunday school do they it's a hard lesson However, Samuel was God's, and God used him all of his life. 1 Samuel one through 19-21, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Samuel was a great prophet. Remember, prophets foretold the future, yes, but mostly and more importantly, They were foretellers, meaning they told what was happening then and there. They interpreted what was going on in the moment. Samuel did both. However, his greatest moments were to call out what Israel was doing and what they were doing wrong, what King Saul was guilty of right now. Do you remember who God sent to tell Saul that he was done being king? Yeah, it was Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, 10-14, Then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this, he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. "May the Lord bless you," he said. "I've carried out the Lord's command." Then what is all the bleeding of sheep, and goats, and the lowing of calves cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. Anybody want the job of a prophet? Not me. Samuel knew that God was in charge. He knew that, yeah, he might get thrown in jail, killed, beaten, or worse for being God's mouthpiece. But he was God's, and he was going to do the job which he was called to do. Number two, Samuel was a judge. He was the last judge. He was the greatest judge. But he was a rejected judge. 1 Samuel 7, 19, 13. So Samuel took a young lamb, offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel, but the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day. And the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below beth slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshana. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help, for he said, Up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't evade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. Now, you guys remember what, what a judge was, right? A judge was somebody because Israel would sin and then God would let somebody overtake them. He would raise an oppressor. And then the nation of Israel would re- repent. And then God would raise a deliverer, which was a judge, And the the, the judge would set them free. So that's what Samuel was. He was a judge. And he freed the nation of Israel from the Philistines. Samuel was the last judge. After Samuel, God used kings, not judges anymore. Samuel was also the greatest judge. And unlike most other judges, he wasn't majorly flawed. You guys remember the majorly flawed judges, right? Samson, he died Doing it, right? He died because of bad choices. Gideon. Anyway, he continued to serve faithfully. After his role role of judge was over, he transitioned back into his role, lastly, of priest. This was the role that Samuel was actually born to do. Anyone know what tribes the priest came from? Levi. Which he was a... Levite. Elkanah was a descendant of Levi. Priests were so important in the Old Testament. And what functions did they serve? Well, they blessed people, they offered sacrifice, they atoned for sins, and they appointed new who? Kings. They appointed new kings. First Samuel 10:1, then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be ruler over Israel, his special possession. 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought with him and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from the day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Samuel was the, David was the king of kings. He anointed the first king and the greatest king. All because of what? All because he offered all that he had to God. Because he was willing to be a faithful servant. And church, this morning, that is our takeaway. If we have heard nothing else, hear this. Because you have had a miraculous birth through your baptism into Christ, you are called to have a miraculous life. You are called to have a miraculous life. B-b- wait, wait, I'm not special. I'm not super talented. I can't make super nice crosses that have like, lights behind them. I can't speak eloquently. I don't have much money to give. Right, right. But if we can learn anything from Samuel this morning, most importantly, he was, and what we can take away is this, he was a faithful servant. Church, can you be a faithful servant? Can you be a faithful servant? Second Timothy, this whole time, this whole message, I've been listening and hearing this in my brain. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Can you be a faithful servant, church? That is all God is asking of you. Can you be faithful? I have run the race. I hope that I have run in such a way to win. This morning, my question for us, how are you, how am I, carrying out God's purpose for your life?